You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning. It is such a wonderful thing to be here. Um, it's family. I feel like it's family. You guys loved up on my wife and I already. So, well, a lot of you have known me since I've had hair on my head, but um, that was a long time ago. Uh, I'm looking up at Brian Mills, and uh, boy, we were out in the desert together before there was ever L.A., and we were praying for the church to be here. I remember all of that. that th this is a blast from the past, and there's other people here that uh, are part of our lives, that God has put in our lives, and... Uh, I thought I had that slide actually eradicated. I don't, I don't want to call this mission-minded family 101. Um, let's move it to the next one. Let's try that. Oh, okay, it doesn't matter. Um, this is mission-minded family. And uh, I'm going to have a chance to share out of our lives, my wife and I, and what God has done to us and for us and through us. And, and it's been a blessing. And we are so excited to be here. And uh, I appreciate the Marichis. I'm still hooked on that Ganser thing. I don't know why. It just, it, well, no, Marichis is what, it, it's what you are, the Marichis. And um, so uh, we love them. They're, they're part of our lives in every way. Uh, we, uh, a lot of water under the bridge and good stuff, good stuff. Sometimes bad stuff, but it gets changed into good stuff by God. So that's where we're at. Let me take a sip before I get rolling here. And so I just want us to start off uh, considering what it means to be a mission-minded family. And frankly, uh, when you look at the Bible and you look at families in the Bible, God is so open about the faults of people. You don't see many families in there that are intact even. There, there's all sorts of things that are going on, a lot of sin, a lot of things that God is teaching us through that. But there are highlights here and there in the Bible that I think are worth looking at. And so uh, what I want to do is uh, read a passage that will kick us off. Romans 16, verse 3. And uh, if you would, you know, Turn to your computers or whatever. <laughs> you don't hear the rustle of too many Bibles nowadays, except, you know, with Andy and a few others. But uh, most, most of it is electronics. But before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us this charge. Thank you so much for helping us be called by you. Not only out of the world, but into a light where we are helping others to do that as well. It is a good thing. It's a good thing for us. It is a marvelous thing that you have done. Jesus Christ was our provision, and we are so thankful. And may we represent you well in this year, 2017. As we look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla, may we see what we need to be in terms of the call here today, right now. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Romans 16, verse 3 says this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life 
risk their own necks to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet the church that is in their house. That was Paul's statement uh, about a couple that shines just incredibly in the pages of the Bible. Um, the year, oh, whoa, whoa, okay, this, okay, there we go. The year was 1973. I know some of you weren't even born then. Okay, well, <laughs> maybe in this group more people were, but uh, if Wade was around talking to people, most of those guys weren't around then. But I was uh, at Pomona College. I wasn't a, what? Church. Church? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. I didn't know that our mascot was the chicken, the sage hen. I didn't know that when I, when I applied. And then I, I played football there, and uh, they have a stuffed chicken in a trophy case. Oh, my goodness. But anyhow, it is a good college, though, okay? And I'm thankful that I went there. Uh, there was a precious, primitive campus ministry in 1973 there, and there was upwards of 100 to 200 people who were wannabes. I guess you could say that's what we were. I was a, a fake wannabe. I was a hypocritical wannabe. Uh, but... Uh, Needless to say, God helped me get through that. But in 1973, 1973, we had an exchange program with Stanford, our, our campus ministries. And, um, and so about 30 of us traveled on up to uh, Stanford, and you're looking at Hoover Tower there. And at the base of Hoover Tower, there's a five or six acre <coughs> quadrant um, plaza Hoover Plaza, whatever they call it nowadays, I don't know. But it was a huge place where the students would gather during lunchtime and things like that. And so we were going to go up for one week and be in, in, on the campus there, and they were going to come down there. Uh, a selection of uh, wannabe disciples were going to come down to Pomona College, and we were going to do things. Okay, We were going to shake things up. We were going to, we were going to be mission-minded. You know, and I knew we had a mission. I did believe in the Great Commission back then, Amen. in spite of my, uh, if you looked at my life. Uh, I did. I knew we had that. Now, I didn't believe that when Jesus was on that mountaintop and he was giving that Great Commission, that it was to remain with the disciples then. I believed it was to be passed on and that it was the call of every single person who wanted to be a Christian and follow Jesus Christ, that that was their calling. They were to spread the word. They were to evangelize. They had a mission throughout the whole world. And I had that in my heart. And I went up there, and um, I knew it. And we went to that Hoover Plaza quadr quadrangle, or whatever you want to call it. That's so long ago, it's hard for me to remember what they called it. It was this big. And there was, someone said 6,000 students there at that time in the plaza. And I know I was with the, the Stanford uh, campus ministry and, and their lead uh, evangelist, and he, he took all 30 of us and about 30 or 40 of them into that quadrant during the lunch hour, and he put a soapbox or a crate, an orange crate, in the middle of it and gave me a megaphone, and he turned to me and said, say something about Jesus. I stood up on that crate and I said this. I said, I am Jerry Sugarman and I am a Jew who believes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of the Old Testament. 
and it stopped about a couple hundred people. It did. They stopped. And they looked at me. And I went through, at that point, I, in three minutes, I told them about how God loved them, how he had planned for their lives. This probably sounds like Camps of Crusade almost. But uh, needless, that's where we were at that time. And, uh, and how Jesus was that provision because man had sinned and separated himself from God. And I gave my testimony, told them how I was like and, and how I'm supposed to be now. And I gave it in three minutes. And during that time, people started milling about and started talking to people out there as I was doing this. You know, the members of all these uh, ministries. And they were trying to get Bible studies going and things like that. And I had so much adrenaline in my, my bloodstream there. It was exciting. It was fast-paced. It was hard-hitting. And when I got down, I stepped off that crate, and there was a, <clears throat> a sister beside me who said, Jerry, that wasn't you speaking. That was God. <laughs> that was the first time I felt like I was on a mission. Not just that I had a mission, but I was on it right then and there. And I love that feel. It was good. It was exciting. And God did some things there. Some of the people are here. Some of those things happened and ended up with the people becoming disciples in the end. It may have taken 20 years, but it, it, it's okay. It's okay. 30 years? Well, 1973, how far is that? Uh, that's a while ago. I can't do the math. That's prehistoric. So after we came back in covered wagons, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I want to look at a couple who knew they were on a mission. Aquila and Priscilla. Let's talk about them. They're, they're mentioned six times in the Bible, six passages. And by the way, there is power in being mentioned in the Bible. There is. I found that out when I... My wife and I were on a, a trip to Italy. We, we actually viewed the uh, dungeons, the, uh, not the dungeons, we did view dungeons, but there was the, uh, catacombs? what? Catacombs? catacombs, yes, some of you have been there. Catacombs in Rome, and first century catacombs, and, and it was amazing um, to be there because it's, it is 2,000 years old, and, and they would dig little spots out in the wall maybe four feet wide and a foot deep, and they would squish your body in there when you're dead. And then they had thousands, of, if not 600,000, I think, grave sites in that catacomb. And there was one room in which there was one normal-sized catacomb, and then there were little teeny pocket-sized catacombs. They must have really crammed a lot of people in those things. They just, you know, um, and I said, what's wrong with this room? There's only one normal-sized grave site, and... Of course, they're empty. They removed all the, the artifacts from there. But, um, and there's a hundred different little, little grave sites all around this big one. He said, what was happening? And he said, look at the name underneath the, the, the shelf there. And it said Apollias. That was mentioned in the same passage, Romans 16. It was mentioned just once. We don't know anything about Apollias. But because his name was mentioned one time in the Bible, Every single person who died that year or was, you know, wanting to have their grave, they wanted it by him. Because when the trumpet call came, he was going to go and they wanted to be on his coattails. <laughs> but that's the power of being mentioned in the Bible. Now, imagine your whole life 
being revealed, or at least 17 years of your life being revealed in the Bible. Now, it's true, it's half a conversation. You know, it's like listening to mom, you're at the kitchen table and you're listening to mom talk to Aunt Mabel on the phone, and you can hear half the conversation and you're piecing it together, even though you can't hear Aunt Mabel, you're piecing it together. That's what we're doing when we read Paul's letters. We're getting half of a conversation, but a lot is revealed in that. And we're seeing two people who did something very, very special in the history of the church. Let me give you a brief accounting of that, okay? Let me kind of run through it real quickly here. We have, well, okay, this is not Aquila and Priscilla. Okay. <laughs> this is probably some of us after the holiday season. You know, we, we sometimes do feel beraggled, don't we? We sometimes, you know, when the kids need to go to one sporting event after another, feel like a taxi cab driver. And then we get tired. And then we do our, our, our ministry at night. And then we, we don't get enough sleep or we worry about bills. And we, get, we do get into that secular mindset. And we probably look just as crabby as these two people do. You know, that's us. But that's not Aquila and Priscilla. In 19, in 19, in 52 AD, a little further back than in my, my history, Claudius Emperor Claudius of Rome expelled 50,000 Jews from Rome. There was a little bit of persecution going on, and he didn't care whose fault it was. He didn't investigate very thoroughly. He just simply assumed that if you're a Christian, you're a Jew. It was that closely associated at that time. And so he expelled every single Jew out of Rome under death penalty. And so you have Aquila and Priscilla for the first time being mentioned. They came to Corinth. And they spent the next couple of years at Corinth. They met up with Paul. Now, the neat thing about the, the three of these guys is that they were tent makers. And that's how they got together. I do not know if Aquila and Priscilla were disciples before they met Paul. But they sure had a relationship that stretched out the next decade or two that really impacted the church. And imagine this. Imagine what it was like to be with Paul at that time. You know, he had a strategy. We, we know from the writings of Luke that he would first go to the synagogue. And they would have a free mic portion of the service in which he could stand up and tell them about Jesus. And some people said, okay, I am interested in the Messiah. I want to know more about it. He used the Old Testament. That's all he had. He used the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. The anointed one of God. And he would persuade some people, and they would continue to worship in the synagogue until they got kicked out, which in Corinth happened the week in one week's time. And they got kicked out, and they went next door to a place, uh, Crispus. Uh, well, actually, it was Titus Justice. Now, it could have been the Titus that we know of and, and, and that Paul had as a, as a good, close relationship. Could have been that guy. Maybe not. Uh, it was a common name. But needless to say, he started up a Bible study next door. And imagine Aquila and Priscilla you know, being right with him. And what did they do at night? Well, they probably had Bible studies, if not during the day. Uh, had Bible studies, just like what we did. You know, Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half, which is long for him. He usually only spent a few weeks. 
and then he would start up another church somewhere else. That congregation, according to his history, that congregation was large by our standards. You're talking about 20,000 disciples within the first couple of years. Huge. Yeah, well, that's a lot of Bible studies. That's a lot of house church meetings. You know, that's incredible. You know, Corinth was about 500,000. Half of them were slaves. So that was a good size population to, to work with. You know, a lot bigger than most cities back then. And so uh, that's the scene that you can imagine and what it was like to be mission-minded. I don't know if um, Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla had any kids, but I can tell you this. If they did, that was the foundation for, you know, for a mission-minded family. And that's what I want us to be like. I don't want us to be like uh, David and Bathsheba. I don't want us to be like any other couple in the Bible. I want us all to be like Aquila and Priscilla. They inspire me. And so imagine that. And then imagine the, the fact that they, they led the synagogue ruler to the Lord, Crispus. And those were, those were great results. And the church grew. And it became one of the larger congregations in the first century. And then in 55 AD, Paul got convicted and wanted to go back to Ephesus. And he took Aquila and Priscilla with him. They were trusted workers. And they, since they were tent makers, they had a trade that they could go anywhere in the world with, kind of like some of us with our, with our computing. And uh, you, know, you can do your work at home. You can do your work at a lot of places. So that's what they did. They went with him. They left. And uh, Paul even left them with Timothy and went on to Antioch. Antioch was one of the really big cities in the Roman Empire. Antioch was probably close to a million in size, which was almost unheard of in the world at that time. And so that's where Paul's ministry really got its kickoff. And that's the kind of like the home church. But he left Aquila and Priscilla and Timothy in Ephesus, and they worked it. And uh, he came back a few months later, and he stayed with them three years. Again, that's a long, long time for Paul. He, he was a mover. He didn't stay put. He was, if there was ever an evangelist that got around, it was Paul. And, uh, but imagine what it was like in Ephesus, you know? A very wicked city, just like most of the cities in the world at that time, and most of the cities in the world today. And, um, you know, they had some great results. Even when Paul wasn't there, Aquila and Priscilla had a chance to lead Apollos to the Lord. Apollos was a great orator. He was one of the best speakers. He was considered an apostle. Maybe not one of the 12, but he was called an apostle by Paul in his writings. He was awesome. And they led him to the Lord. Okay, They had to teach him. He, it says they had to teach him more accurately the things of Jesus. Because he was, he was converted under John the Baptist, and that's all he had as far as information. And so they had to teach him about the ministry and the sacrifice of Jesus. So he got that information and became one of the big names in the first century. I don't know. Um, I think that would be exciting to think that one of my, the people that my wife and I were studying with would be someone like that. It could be. You don't know. You don't know what God's going to do. You've got to have that in your heart. So if you're looking at the history of Aquila and Priscilla, I want you to be excited with the thought that maybe God can do the same thing today. You know? 
So, um, Paul, when he, he went, uh, when he went to Corinth, wrote back to, um, to Ephesus. Uh, let me just say something here. Um, and he said to the church, he, he uh, to the church in Ephesus, he said, greet hard, uh, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church with the church that is in their house. Okay, so we see the same pattern. We see church meeting in their homes. Um, we see them probably as tent makers able to buy a house, you know, invest in some sort of real estate. And we see that the church was there. It's a good thing to do, you know, a good thing to use whatever God gives you in terms of blessings, use them for him. Okay, and then in AD 60, Paul, Paul is going to uh, write to them. Uh, he mentions them. They're at Rome now. They went back. Claudius died, and they went right back to Rome. I guess they wanted to get the ministry going in Rome. And so uh, that reminds me of people. Uh, my wife and I had the pleasure of going to China and meeting with the church in China. We had the pleasure of having a family conference in China where 19 congregations were represented at that time. You, you think China is very restrictive when it comes to Christianity. It is. And you can't, you can't just send this out over the internet and, and make a big deal about it. But the Chinese government is very smart. They know who we are. They know all the ministers. And uh, once in a while, they want to make a show of strength, they'll kick them out. They'll, 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 they'll arrest the ministers and kick them out. And um, I was interviewing um, a couple my wife and I were talking with them. We were interviewing about what type of persecution they went through. It, was, it wasn't severe. Any, it's not severe anymore, thank goodness. Um, they, they, they're, uh, China's changing in some ways. I'm not saying they're good. I'm just saying that they're changing. And the fact is, is that they arrested this one couple who were ministers in Beijing. And now, when I was interviewing them, they were ministers in Shanghai. And I thought, don't they banish? the evangelists usually when they catch them like this? And they said, yeah, but they didn't tell me I couldn't come back, and so I just turned around. Soon, as soon as I stepped out of the country, I turned around and got back in uh, through another port, and they let me in. And so he was back doing it again. You know? And so that's what I see in this situation. They went back to Rome as soon as they could. They got kicked out, but they came right back. Yeah. And so it reminds me of, the, of these uh, modern-day Aquilas and Priscillas. And finally, uh, they were in Ephesus. And Paul writes to them. Paul is in Rome now. Paul is about ready to be executed. He's in the maritime dungeon, which is a cold, dark, damp place, pretty ugly, pretty bad. And his trials are uh, upon him. And he says to Timothy, please come as soon as you can before winter. And... Um, in that same passage, he also says, say hello to Aquila and Priscilla. He loved them. They were part of his life. And so that's the rundown. That's Aquila and Priscilla. The six passages are there. And uh, you can get a flavor of this. I hope you open your hearts to it. Because you can get some lessons from looking at these people. I'm going I'm to talk now about what lessons can we have when we look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla. And um, uh, Stephen, 
Jackie aren't here, are they? Oh, there you are. Jackie, how long do I have? Okay. Paul preached at midnight. I will not. What is? Okay, I'll shoot for that. That sounds good. Okay. You can pick up several lessons here. I have three that are on my heart, okay? And I want to talk about them. First, Aquila and Priscilla really did put God first, okay? If nothing else, you can pick up that lesson. I'm pressing it. It is supposed to change over. Did I break it? It doesn't matter. I'm going to talk about it, okay? God first. If you want to be like Aquila and Priscilla, start with that. You know, they moved wherever they had to, wherever God wanted them. You don't think they went from Corinth to Ephesus because they knew that the real estate prices were half? Did you? Did you think they were looking for that? Not at all. They were going into Ephesus, which was probably just as wicked of a city as Corinth, though Corinth had a good reputation, a bad reputation. Um, they, they felt called. And they just thought that that was where God wanted them to be. And because of that, the church grew in Ephesus. It was a 50,000-member church. Okay? We think we're big. We're not big. We're a drop on the bucket. We're, we're, we're like their churches were a, a year old, if that, you know? Uh, they were huge. They had evangelized. And Ephesus was spreading uh, its influence throughout Asia. So Ephesus was a springboard for that. Antioch was a world-class church. It had over 100,000. That's where Paul started. That's, they sent out mission teams all over the place. So get that picture in your mind that these people were serious about their call. Okay, and I don't want to say that their environment was easier. I don't think it was. I think you could die for your faith in those days. We have yet to come to that, that level of the persecution. Okay, but the fact is that we can move wherever God wants us to as well today. You know, when I received a call from Tom Brown, my wife and I received a call from Tom Brown, 1989, when he started up the church, when he came out here to start the church up, he asked us to move to Los Angeles. I had lived my whole life up in the Antelope Valley. Yeah, Brian was up there with me. You know, all good men spend time in the desert. That's <laughs> I try to tell people God is up there, but they tell me only God could live up there. But when I was up there, it was a lot better than Los Angeles, in my mind, okay? Real estate prices were half of what LA is, you know? They were, and, and we were building the Ponderosa where we were living. And um, Tom asked us to check things out and see, how, see what we can do. And, and I started looking at real estate in Santa Clarita, which was um, about 30 miles away from the Antelope Valley. And Tom says, I need you all the way into the city. I need you. The need is here. Do you feel called to it? And I did. I did very much. My wife and I were excited about moving down. Even though in, in Lancaster, where we were at, L.A. is considered down below. Okay? Are you going down below, they would say. It had a, it had a physical reference because Antelope Valley is high, high plateau, but 
it also had spiritual significance too. Okay? And, and, and that's how we viewed, honestly guys, that's how LA was viewed. And when we moved here, it wasn't an upgrade, okay? And <clears throat> Tom also asked me to still be a dentist because no one else had a job at that time in the church. Well, there's only 50 people, they're all young people. They, they had a scurry about trying to get jobs. Some of them were getting them, but some weren't. And so he says, I need some sort, you know, <laughs> dependable source of income here. And uh, so we kept my practice up in Lancaster and we moved into the San Fernando Valley. Wow. Okay. And um, that's okay, because God wanted us here. I was convinced of that. It settled all the questions. That meant that even if real estate prices would go sky high, I would be here because he called me here. That meant if the school system wasn't as nice as it was up there, I'd still figure out a way to get my kid educated. Okay? It just meant that all the obstacles that were associated with that were to be conquered because the call was issued. Okay, now I'm not against people moving away. This, this is United States. There is freedom still. Oh, amen. You know, you can move, you can live, you can live in other places besides Los Angeles. Okay, and I don't, you know, people that come to me and say, I, I really want to move to, you know, even San Fernando people can come to me and say, I want to move to Santa Clarita. It's a little bit nicer school system, a little bit nicer, you know, housing. And I say, I say to them, even though that's, that's part of the, North region, I'll say to them, is that why you're moving though? He says, you gotta be thinking. You gotta be responding to the call. Because if you go somewhere that you're not called to, I don't care if it's nicer. I don't care if it's the Garden of Eden. You're gonna mess up and you're not gonna have God helping you out here. And some people have had that happen where they moved into Santa Clarita, which was a nicer place than the San Fernando Valley and they lost their children because their children were secular and got pulled away from the church and things like that. All sorts of things happened to their family. It wasn't pretty. They forgot what they were meant to be doing. When our kids came to us, and my son, I have an awesome son. He's 37 years old, he honors me as his father. He, he um, you know, he's his own man now. He's in San Diego. With, with a beautiful wife, Lisa, and I'll talk a little bit more about them in a few minutes. But basically, he told me that he was moving to San Diego because he was uh, accepted into uh, school there, get his master's uh, at an architectural school. And the thing that my wife and I did with them, sat them down and said, okay, this is a blessing. I will consider it a blessing. It also is a calling of God. If you're meant to be in San Diego, it's because not because of your education, it's because you're gonna have another group of people you need to reach out to. And you need to give your heart to San Diego Church, and you need to participate, and you need to be evangelistic. And if you're not, you're gonna have problems. And indeed, they've been down there for, what, 12 years? 12 years, and doing quite fine, thank you. So, you know, that's awesome, that's good, that's Aquila and Priscilla. And there's no better place than our home as a center of evangelism and as a center of spiritual nurturing. Those are the purposes of where we move and where we go to. Oh, there it is. See? So God first, okay? The second thing I, I want to talk about 
is that Aquila and Priscilla definitely are a couple. They're never mentioned separately. Never. I think that's neat. When, when people think of Jerry Sugarman, I hope they think Jerry and Arlen. In fact, in the North region, we're called Tito Tita. <laughs> it's a Filipino thing, but I'm a jalapeno. So um, <laughs> it's OK. I like it. I like it. It's family. And, um, but Aquila and Priscilla, in the Bible, never mentioned without you know, the other one being there. And that, why, uh, that is why, in my mind, I love, of all the studies we did, studying with families. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I hate it when couples aren't on the same page spiritually. Yeah. Okay, Disciples or non-Christians, either way, I try to get them both. And when we do study Bible studies with husbands and wives, we try to do them at the same time. We actually do. We may separate them during their sin studies. And I'm speaking church lingo here, okay? But needless to say, it's the church, it's the family here that I'm addressing. Um, it's nice to get them on the same page. And it's really neat to watch them interact as a couple. You know, he says, I don't think I'm, I think I have the purpose of evangelism, you know, when we ask him that question. And, <laughs> and, and the wife turns to him and says, why do you think that? I love it. I love the interplay that occurs when you have them working together, being truthful. Okay? And my kid was very much part of it, too. His job was to go to school and invite his friends to church, and we would work with his par their parents. It was great. It was a great combination. We're a great team. The first Bible, study, uh, Bible talk we ever had, we were praying, and my son, who was eight years old at the time, said, Lord, may we have enough chairs for all the visitors that are going to come. He was very much active with that. And so uh, it's really, really neat to experience togetherness. My wife and I, we have been blessed with that. I've done a lot of dumb things in my life, but one thing I did right, I married her in. And she makes me look good. <laughs> and she works hard to, to have that happen. <laughs> okay. But that's Aquila and Priscilla, that, from what I can see. And it looks like they, they were able to study together with uh, Apollo. And uh, that was a great, great, great uh, blessing. The, set, the third thing I want to bring up is this. Um, understand, and here's a long sentence, and I, I'm going to shorten it. Understand... They understood, Aquila and Priscilla, understood the providential workings of God in their life. I really believe from what I read, there's evidence to support that thought, that they were moving together because they knew God was working in their lives. They didn't see things secularly, like they were living separate lives from God. He was involved. And if I had to shorten it up, what I would say is, they knew miracles would happen. They knew great things would happen. They knew God would enter the scene and change it from being an ordinary uh, adventure. You know, I could stand here in front of you guys, my brothers and sisters, and I could say, are you satisfied? I could ask this question. Are you satisfied with the number of friends you're bringing to Christ right now? No, there probably wouldn't be anyone. Maybe there would be one person, maybe. 
but the, as a general rule, we all be unsatisfied. And then I could rebuke you for that. I could say, you're just not out there enough. You're just not inviting people left and right. You're not trying to risk your reputation. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. I could do that, and the shoe is big enough it would fit. You know? It would fit. It would fit me, too. Okay? But that's not where I'm coming from. Even though I did, just did it, I, that's not where I'm coming from. <laughs> Miracles happen because you prayed for them or someone was praying for you. I've had miracles happen in my life left and right. Not because I'm so good. I'm not. I really don't deserve any of it. But it happens because God is providentially working in my life. When we first moved down to L.A., I was praying as I was driving on the freeway. I said, Lord, I'm kind of contaminated and I'm afraid. I, I don't know if this is really going to be successful. And as soon as I prayed, a car pulled out in front of me, and they had those you know, license plates. And it said, JLS, that's my initial, JLS, yes. <laughs> I don't want to get freaky when it comes to God working in my life, but that did encourage me. I want you to know that. It really did. And I believe that we are just not risking it when it comes to God's miracles. We're just not risking it. We're, we, we play it safe. We play it comfortable. We, you know, when I look at, in 1 Kings chapter 19, you have Elijah there. And I believe in the chapter before that, there's a scene in which he, he had already called for the drought to happen. <clears throat> it's been going on for about three years. And then he commissions Ahab, the king, says, you go down to Jezreel, the storm is coming, the rain is coming. Now, I don't know if he was a real good weatherman or not. There wasn't a cloud in the sky at the time, but he bowed down, put his head between his knees, and prayed for God to give rain. And he had his servant go out to the edge of that mountain. They were on top of Mount Carmel. And he said, is there anything coming? And eventually a cloud the size of a man's hand. He had to send him out seven times. That's putting your neck out of line. And then they said that's exactly what Quill and Priscilla did. They put their neck on the line for Paul. He says, he did that expecting the miracle to happen. You know, and that's what living providentially with God is all about. You believe God is faithful, that he will come through. You believe that he's going to do the miracle, even when it doesn't look like it. And it may take seven times of praying hard and long, but it will happen. You become convinced of that. There isn't anything I don't, I don't feel like I could pray for at this point. You know? Our families need to see this, guys. They don't see it. Our, we lose our teenagers because they don't see us risking anything for God. They don't see the evangelism. They don't see the faith. And so we just need to do that. So what I want to commend you to as the final points here under this topic, we've got to start praying. That's where it begins. It's not because we're so good. It's not because we're so effective. It's because we pray. And we believe God is going to be faithful with those prayers. I brought my prayer journal here. This is one of my, I have about three of them. This one dates back to 1994. <clears throat> That's about early on in the church, of course. And um, I go back 
where I did, I did go back on this one and circle where I felt like a, a prayer was answered. And there are pages that are circled, circled, circled. Some of them took place years later, you know. <clears throat> and I thought I'd give you a taste of what it's like to pray faithfully. Okay? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to read you just the circle things. Anthony baptized, Charles baptized, Dean baptized, graduations. Oh, Jeremy's going steady with Lisa. That's circled. Um, <laughs> 100 visitors at Bible Talk baptized. I mean, not baptized. Visitors. They weren't baptized. Most of them didn't get baptized. Let me be honest. But 100, with 25 kids. It circled. It says, that's an answer to prayer, guys. Um, 25 visitors at church circled. Miracles happen. Um, Todd baptized. Eric baptized. The first year that I was in the church, the Bible talk, it started with just six people. At the end of the year, there were 45. Okay? It's not because we were good. It's just because we prayed. You know, we got to pray long. We got to pray hard. I remember this, this, this uh, acronym, J-E-J-I-T. Just enough, just in time. That's the way God, he has a sense of humor. He makes us pray really hard, and he comes through at the end. You know, um, I also brought what I use now as goals, okay? I have 47 goals, more than that, because most of them get met. But these are still lingering uh, there are 47 what I want to call giving goals. I used to pray really selfishly, still do at times. But I realized that if we're going to have great goals, they might as well be great giving goals. Okay? So everything that I have here, even my financial goals, have to have some sort of give to them. Okay? I can ask for a certain amount of money to come through the dental office, but I have to be it's attaching a giving to that, okay? That's in my mind. It's, it helps me because I'm selfish by nature. But here's my, I have um, family, influence, experiential, financial, physical, and travel goals. I have them, 47 of them right here. That's what I pray for every day. I'll give you a taste of my family goals. I want to celebrate my 50th anniversary with my wife. I do. I pray for that. Now, God could say no to that goal. He could. But it's been 38 years, so it's, it's going strong. Amen. I want to kiss Erlen on top of the Eiffel Tower. That's a family goal. Okay? I pray for the fruitfulness of each of the family members. I have what I want to see out of that with their names attached. That includes my grandchildren. I want to witness each of my grandson's baptism. I do want to leave an inheritance for our children, spiritual and physical and financial. Um, I want to take each grandson, and I want to take my, my son and my daughter-in-law on a mission trip. And, and let me say this about this. If, you were, if you're going to be a mission-minded family, do that. We did that a lot. You know, with being a dentist, I could, I could do dentistry in the jungles if I wanted to, and I did and my son was with me, and my, my wife was with me when I did that for Hope. <clears throat> my son loved Hope so much, he went six times, starting at, at 15 years old. 
He met his wife when uh, he was 16 in India at a leper colony. Now, they weren't married at that time. They, they had to hang in there until after graduation, college graduation, and then they started up. Okay, but they met. They met in India. Okay, on a Hope, Hope Youth Court. And he did it every single year until he couldn't afford any of it. Yeah, well, that's them. The obligatory family shot. <laughs> There's the two kids. And um, I'm so thankful. And they're all game for our next mission trip. We're going to have to save money for it. But I believe God will provide it. Amen. And I'm going to take, I don't care where, uh, they want to go to the Philippines and, and do hope work there. I think that would be awesome. Okay, guys, I really want to commend to you that I want you to be the greatest praying for people in the world. Amen. It says in Nehemiah chapter seven, uh, 9, verse 17, it says this. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands, God. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. That's, I don't want to fail by forgetting miracles. I have a whole book full. I can go anytime and reread it. And it's awesome, guys. It's awesome to look at bringing 100 people to church or whatever. It's just neat to... Uh, need to have stuff like that. Those were miracles. They're repeated often enough so that I can uh, get excited again. Um, I would commend to you, pray long, pray hard, and allow God to teach you the lessons that Aquila and Priscilla presented to us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.